Hey there, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, DCF family. Y'all are making your way in, finding your seats, talking to everybody. It's a good morning. We're glad you're here with us. We had a um, wonderful time just kind of praying in our, um, just this morning before service. And just for you to know, for those of you who really have a heart for praying and coming together as the body, we do that every Sunday morning at 9.15. You're more than welcome to join us. Um, what we know in this house is that there is a beautiful discernment of the Holy Spirit on the believer. And what we love is that the Holy Spirit talks to you just like he does to everybody else. So um, you have your unique way of how you hear from the Holy Spirit, just like we hear how the Holy Spirit's talking to us. So um, this morning, in light of that as well, um, we always have an overseeing eldership um, team that is overseeing the service. And if you feel like you maybe have a word or a picture, something that um, would be beneficial to the body, um, this morning, David and I are going to be leading up at the front. We'd love for you to come and share that with us. And um, because what I do know is that Jesus loves, and I say he loves to love on his bride. And that's who we are. And so um, this morning as we were praying, we really felt like um, that there is no reluctance have no reluctance to his kindness towards you this morning. Have no reluctance to the Father's kindness to you this morning. So what does that look like for us practically? That looks like if I've been hurt, I've been hurt by leadership, something has happened in my past, something's gone on, maybe something didn't turn out the way I thought it should have turned out, that rather than having a guarded and protected and, you know, closed off heart, we swing wide the gates of our hearts this morning to receive the love and the grace and the kindness of a good father towards us this morning. So will you stand with us as we worship? Holy Spirit, we are so glad that you are sent to us. Jesus knew that we would need you. The Father knew that we would need you. Y'all had a great plan for us before the world was ever formed, before the foundation began of this world. There was a plan for us, a holy plan, and it is good. So this morning, Lord, we just say there's no reluctance to your kindness this morning. We swing wide the gates of our heart, of our spirit, to receive from you everything that you have for, this mor for us this morning because it is only good. You are good, and you only have good to give. So, Father, we worship you, and we make great the name of Jesus this morning in our midst because he is worthy regardless of the week that we've had regardless of the morning that we've had Lord you are worthy of adoration and affection and glory and majesty Lord we worship you King Jesus in your name we pray amen let's worship together y'all
lost without hope with no place to begin your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested in my life
we had a picture when we were in our prayer time, and this may affect a bunch of us this morning. Uh, a friend of mine one time had a, a revelation about um, grace and what it meant to be saved um, and what freedom, you know, we've been set free so we could be free is what Scripture teaches. And so the picture he had was of a, of a slave who'd been put inside a cell. Um, and because his past was always, I had no control, I was limited, I couldn't do anything of my own accord, um, he just took it for granted that that cell was his lot in life. That was never going to be anything different. And, uh, you know, the story goes to the Emancipation Proclamation that there was an announcement that you were free. And the announcement was, the truth was your freedom had already been in place. The announcement was just reminding you or letting you know if you didn't know that you are now free. But you still have to do something about that. And the picture I got this morning was that you're in this cage for whatever whatever's held you back. And you've been there for so long that you don't realize it because of what Jesus did on the cross, that the gate now is unlocked and you can walk out anytime you want. And so that's the reality of the gospel, the good news. That's why it's such good news. You can walk away from the brokenness and the sin and the pain and the heartache and the fear, the song we were just singing about. So my sense this morning was, would you, as we sing the song again, would you try that gate? Would you, would you say, you know what, maybe this is actually true and I can, I can push that gate open and I, I can walk into the beautiful freedom that God has for me. And that's truth, but it has to be manifested in your faith. In other words, you have to make a decision to grab hold of that gate and push it open. You, you, you have to do that. Nobody can do that for you. God can't do that for you. He's done everything for you, but the part that you play is to believe that it's true. And this morning, as we sing this song again, let that grab hold of your soul. And in whatever area you have felt that bondage, this morning, would you just push that gate open and say, Lord, thank you that I'm free. Now I'm going to walk in that freedom. Amen.
Jesus, you brought me. 
worship you. Jesus, your name is above every other name. And there is no rival against your name. Your name has been exalted far above every other name in heaven and in earth. This morning, we say, Jesus, you are without rival. You are, the circumstances in our life are without rival to your goodness and your incomparable grace, Lord. To your limitless power, my circumstances don't stand a chance. Lord, thank you that you are with me and you are for me. And who can stand against the living God? Lord, we worship you and we honor you this morning. Thank you, Lord, that our greatest treasure this morning is your great love for us that has been proven in Jesus, in the cross, in the resurrection or that the power of the living God was evident in the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, thank you. We worship you and we honor you. Lord, that the power of the Holy Spirit, the one who raised Christ from the dead, lives and dwells in us, Lord. We worship you this morning, King Jesus. We bless you. We bless your name. Thank you. Lord, that you have defeated the enemy. You defeated him victoriously, Lord. Thank you. Lord, thank you, Lord. We worship you and we honor you. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for being with us and worshiping with us. Um, 
If you're new with us this morning, if you're a guest, you can go to DothanCF.com and do a connection card, connect with us. I love getting to connect with our new families that join us and come in and kind of get to hear a little bit about their story, how they found out about us, and how you um, are connecting into the greater story of what the Lord has through our local body, through the church DCF. So um, thank you so much for doing that. Our summer connections, remember we've got those on Tuesdays and um, on Thursdays, some at Waterworld. Check out the website for that. But um, what's coming up this coming week are those as well as Freedom Fest out at Fort Novacell. And um, all the details are on the website as well, and you'll get information for that. If you have not registered to have a pass, you can do that online as well as go to the base and do that. You want to do it before this Friday, get it done. Um, even if you've registered online, one of the things that I saw this week is that you want to get a um, go and get a printed pass for the day just in case that their systems are down because I know that has happened before where it's not working electronically so your pass would not be um, visible through the license of stri- striping that. So um, thank you so much for giving in person. You can give in the box up front or you can give online on the website as well. We are going to dismiss our kids and our youth And um, we are looking forward to really training up our kids to know that really the most important thing as a parent that you can teach your kid, I want to give you all a nugget right now, so just kind of pause for a second. The most important thing that you can teach your kids is to know the voice of the Holy Spirit. And the reason why is because you are not always going to be with your kids, but the Holy Spirit is always with your kids. So we want to be able to train them and to know that there is no junior Holy Spirit. They hear him. They hear him in uh, their um, unique ways as we train and teach them, but it's modeling. We listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit, and we want to teach you how to hear the Holy Spirit as well. So um, we love you guys this morning, and of course, yes, I know we want to train them to love Jesus, so don't lose your minds over that statement. So um, we know that, but Jesus said he was giving us the Holy Spirit to counsel us and guide us. And guess what? The Holy Spirit's going to teach us all things about Jesus. So we get it. They all work together hand-in-hand in unity because they are in unity for the purposes of God in our lives. So, so thank you for being with us this morning. Dave's going to be right back with a message for us. All right. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Wave at me if you had your coffee. <laughs> some of you guys are like, I need some coffee right now. Um, we are going to finish up a series today. We, be, we started this six weeks ago, um, a series called Empowered Life in the Spirit. And uh, there's a scripture that I started out with. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of unpack that scripture today. This is kind of the foundational scripture that we launched with. And it, it's one of the most controversial statements Jesus ever made. And he made a lot of controversial statements. This is what he said in John 16, 7. He says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I don't go away, the helper won't come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And so one of the questions is we kind of been unpacking this life in the spirit. What, what's the advantage Jesus was talking about? That was the big controversial statement. Would you rather have Jesus here with you right now physically, or would you rather have the presence of the Holy Spirit um, on you, with you, and then what Jesus said, eventually he's going to be in you. So which one would we rather have? And if we're honest, because we live in a natural world, a lot of times our preference would be, man, I'd really love to have spent three years with Jesus, right? In, in ministry with him, discipleship, where he's just speaking in my life, he's correcting, he's challenging, he's demonstrating, he's doing all these things. That would have been amazing, and I'm sure all of us would have, would have loved that. But he, it's very interesting. He says this to the disciples, and we're going to unpack this, this context, the context of the scripture in just a second. But what's amazing is he has this conversation with the disciples, and they could not see it. 
And if we're honest, a lot of times we're in the same boat. We're like, I don't understand the advantage of the Holy Spirit. Karen mentioned that, you know, as we were going in, we teach your kids, you know, the best thing you can teach your kids as a parent is how to hear the voice of God's Spirit. How, you know, Jesus said, um, my sheep hear my voice. So he's always talking to us, but that doesn't mean we're always listening, right? And so uh, it's a challenge for us to learn how to do that. It's a skill set. It's not just natural. It doesn't, just, you know, we, we start out with kind of getting that. But, you know, even with, with kids, kids pick up language. But if you notice, oftentimes we're correcting their pronunciation. We're connect, correcting how they say it. We're correcting their tone. We're correct, there's so many subtleties of learning a language that it takes a long time to do it. But once they learn it and they become fluent in it, it is to their advantage. And so God's talking about the same thing, and Jesus was talking about the same thing in this concept. But what I want to talk about today is how is it, an advantage to you? How is, how is the Holy Spirit living inside of you today more of an advantage than if you were physically with him um, 2,000 years ago walking, you know, the streets of Jerusalem? So let me start with a story. Um, I was 17 years old. Some of you guys have heard the story. I was 17 years old, and I'd been dating um, a, a, a girl, and she was in a car accident and, and was killed. And so 17 years old was the first real experience I had with death. I mean, I'm sure I'd been to funerals before of people I didn't really know well, um, but this was my first real experience of that kind of grief and that kind of, you know, that kind of, you know, challenge. And so I remember going to the funeral and, uh, she was really, really outgoing personality. Um, she was, you know, she was the life of the party, all those things, is, which is what got her in trouble in the first place, quite frankly, drinking too much and driving things, things like that. So she ended up again, she's, she ended up getting killed. And then I'm, I'm there at the funeral and I'm, all of these emotions are going through me, this loss, and, I, you know, I'm 17, I don't know how to process it, and I'm like, uh, it's, I don't know what to do with what's happened, and so I, I remember walking up and touching her body, and there was a clue, thank God there was a clue in that moment where I had this realization that, that what, what I was looking at was not her, it was her house, but she didn't live there anymore, and I just remember that so clear, but I also remember just the massive emotions of well, what do I do now? You know, is, is that going to happen to everybody I love? Is that going to happen to me? And of course, the answer is yes, right? And then what do you do with that? How do you process that kind of devastation? You know, so is, it, is life even worth living if everything you love or care for is going to be taken away, right? And so I still remember that. I remember not too long after that same, you know, that year, um, lying on my bed one night, just thinking through this, you know, all those things that have been happening and, and asking the question, if, you know, is, is, there, is this all there is? Right? Is this what, you know, I'm, I'm almost an adult, I'm 17 years old, you know, um, and, and, and life is just going to be one tragedy after another. That's my thought process. You know, it's kind of dark, but that's where I was. And I remember thinking, un unless there's something more, remember that thought kind of coming to mind, unless there's something bigger, unless there's a purpose that's bigger than this, unless there's something that transcends death and all the things that I'm experiencing, then really... This life is, is a tragedy in and of itself. And some people live there and, you know, write great books about how dark life is. You know, surf the internet and, you know, all that stuff. That's just kind of the nature of where we live right now in a place without God. And so there's this, this tension I had of, of just, you know, so much uncertainty, no direction, overwhelmed. What do I do next? And then I started thinking about I'm graduating uh, high school soon, and now, I'm, you know, do I go to college? If I do go to college, what do I study? And, if, you know, if I study that, is that going to pan out? You know, all the promises everybody's making me in it. See, all these things are happening. I don't know if you've ever been there. Same thing with relationships. You know, it's like you, you meet this person, and you're like, hey, are they the one? You know, am I going to risk spending the rest of my, am I going to invest my life into this person? Are they going to let me down? I look around, and there's, you know, there's divorce everywhere. There's broken relationships everywhere I look. 
And I'm like, is that my lot in life? And so all this uncertainty, all this, what do I do with this? Um, what about being a parent? You know, like especially nowadays, am I sending my kids to school? Or what are they actually being taught? It used to be, you know, math, but now math is racist, apparently. I mean, there's so many crazy things going on. It's like, what, what's my kid actually being taught? I don't, even, I don't even know, right? And then I find out, and sometimes I find out too late. And we watch our kids go off to college, and then they're, they're overwhelmed by these philosophies of the world that are dark in and of themselves. Like, there's, it never pans out. The, the best we can hope for is we're going to die, right? In the dark, in the rain. You know, it's like a Hemingway quote. So, so what do you what do you do with that as a parent? You know, it's like I, I I can't like Karen said I can't be with them all the time, and so now it's like I've loved so much, and you know not only are they going to be someone going to take advantage of them, or are they going to go astray, and are they going to hate me? And some of uh, some of us I think have had those experiences about our kids, our, you know, losing relationship with our own kids, and like how did that happen when I was holding them like a little baby at one point? You know, it's so innocent, and so there's this massive sense of uncertainty. And into this, Jesus speaks these words. He said, it's to your advantage I go away. (laughs) So here's the world. They're coming into the same stuff we've been talking about, the tragedies, the challenges. All that was, it was was a similar world in the sense that brokenness and, and hurt and pain and uncertainty was all around them. And Jesus comes and he does something for three years he, he deposits something into the earth. He takes 12 guys aside, and he spends time with them, and he teaches them something new. He disciples them. He becomes a rabbi. They become, uh, he becomes their rabbi and teacher, and they become the learner and the disciple, right? So let's look at that scripture in context, though, because as we unpack it, it's really interesting what, what it actually says. So back up to verse 5, and this is Jesus talking, to, again, to the disciples. So again, they were confused in this conversation because if you go back and read even before, he said, I've tried to have this conversation with you before, but you couldn't hear it, right? You, you just weren't there yet. So he says, but now I go away to him who sent me. So I'm going back to the Father. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So what Jesus was saying to the disciples was, he said, I've been talking about going away, and not a single one of you knotheads, this is my translation, <laughs> my paraphrase, not a single one of you knotheads has asked me where I'm going. The only thing you can think about is what it, how it's going to affect you. Is that not a picture of us sometimes, the selfishness and the mindset? is like, you know, it's like, Dad, I think I want to go to school out of, out of state. What? <laughs> right? Why would you go to Auburn? I don't, you know, because that's technically in the state, but not really, if we're honest. It's so foreign. Sorry, Susan. I didn't. <laughs> but we ask these questions like, what? the whole concern is how does that affect me? Right? Someone comes and says, I'm not sure our relationship was working out. And you say, what? How could you do that to me? <laughs> you know, you, the, the company comes and says, hey, we're going to redo some things and change some things around. And you're like, what? How could you do The economy changes and all, all these things, it's, it's so amazing that when something happens, the first thing we ask, the question we ask is not, what does this mean really, right? But what does this mean to me? And again, that, there's nothing wrong with asking that question, but when it's the first thing you think, and then it's the only thing you think, you're going to miss what God's trying to do in your life, right? So he says, I'm going away. Not a single one of you guys has asked me where I'm going. In other words, what was the purpose for me being here and then dying on the cross and then going back to the Father. Like, this is, a, this is a big picture thing. This is a big story. And you guys are fixated on the part where you're sad. <laughs> right? So again, very, very selfish. So here's, why did he do that? I mean, obviously we know 
Part of it was he said on the cross, it is finished. He said, I've, I've come to fulfill everything that God said and promises in the law and the prophets, all those things. I come to fulfill something. In other words, there's a purpose, there's a plan. This is, none of this is arbitrary, what's going on, right? He has a purpose and a plan in this. Um, then he moves into verse 7. He says, uh, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. In other words, he gets their attention again. He says, I'm telling you, I want you to pay attention. I want to get your attention. This is the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. So in their sadness, he challenges their sadness with, okay, the fact that I'm going away, you have totally missed the advantage that's going to be for you. And I think as believers sometimes, not because the Holy Spirit isn't available to us, he is, and as a believer, we've talked about this throughout the series, that we have the Holy Spirit as a believer living inside of us. The, the voice of God is always available to us, but how often do we say, Lord, I just need to hear your voice? Right? And God's going, I, I, you can. You are. So what's the disconnect? You know, what's, the, what, what's the advantage that we're missing that Jesus can't come in the room and talk to us, but he could talk to us in another way? So he goes on, he says, it's your advantage that I go away, for I, if I don't go away, the helper won't come to you. If I, but if I depart, I'll send him to you. So here's the promise. This is another scripture in Luke 24, 9. He says, behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. So what, what was the promise? It wasn't just the promise of Jesus, right? So then we talked about the Trinity, right? And that the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force or the disembodied spirit of Jesus, right? That's not who he is. He's part of the Trinity. He's part of the Godhead. But notice one of the things he talks about is how it's all connected. Remember, Jesus is getting baptized. And while he's being baptized, the Bible says that the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove and stayed upon him. That was significant, right? But also at the same time, so now you have Jesus, the Son, you have the Holy Spirit manifest presence. People saw this. He's there in, the, in this moment. And then the Father, Father's voice from heaven, which was not Jesus, and which is not the Holy Spirit, but the Father, the voice from heaven says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Right? The picture of it was, was a, a model of grace that Jesus had done nothing yet in his ministry. This was literally the beginning of his ministry, him being baptized, not for his sin. He didn't have any of that, but as a model for you and I, this is what it means to be baptized into something, to be submerged completely till you're completely underneath and under the influence of all of this. This is a picture Jesus was painting. And in this picture of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit comes and stays. See, up until that moment, all the, in the past, the Bible talks about a visitation as opposed to a habitation. He'd come and he'd visit, but then he would leave. And so here's a thought for you, just, just in the context, just a super practical thought. Do you think that if you sin, the Holy Spirit departs from you? Right? Because, so, again, we may not say that theologically, but we may live that practically. We may say, you know what, I screwed up this week. And I, you know, it's just trouble, and I just can't get it together for whatever reason. I keep going after seeing the same pattern of sin, and so because of that, Lord, I just, you know, I know you're not with me, really, because that's not at all what God says. Maybe what you think, maybe what you say, maybe what you've been taught, but it's not what the Bible teaches, right? It's not how God how how God has modeled this for us. So why why is this important? Because if we understand the promise of the Father, doesn't start with Jesus or the Holy Spirit. That before time began. 
right? The Bible says that Jesus, the, the, the Messiah, was going to be sacrificed on behalf of our sin, right? Before time began. Why is that so important? Because I, I get this all the time. People say, you know, if you sin, Jesus turns it, or God the Father turns his back on you. He's not pleased with you. And it goes down this list of all the things that are going to happen to you because you sin. And so let me just ask you this question. Just practically think about this. If God has a problem, Again, if, if, if what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough to pay for your sin, past, present, and future, wouldn't it make sense that if, if Jesus, if, if the Father saw this coming, like the challenge that you were going to be, and I know some of you guys, some of you guys are challenging. Not that I'm not, I'm just saying, I know some of you guys. But he, if he was looking at that going, you know what, this is just not worth it, would he have made you in the first place? So, I mean, in my thinking, God's like, you know what? These guys are going to be a problem. Let's just skip it. Right? We're still not going to do it at all. So if you go back and you understand that, why is this so important? Because if we don't get this through our head, then when we think the Holy Spirit is going to come to us, when Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come to us, the next few, few passages he talks about is going to begin to make sense of this. Because the mindset can't be that he's coming to visit you to do something for a moment. On a Sunday morning, you feel the, you know, the, the good feels, uh, or you do a good deed and you feel the good feels, uh, or, or you have a bad, bad day or a bad moment and you have the bad feels, that somewhere in that context, you know, Jesus is going up and down or the Holy Spirit is going up and down. He's like, oh, I'm out of here. Oh, I'm coming back. Oh, I'm out of here. I'm coming back, right? Is that the picture? <laughs> so he goes on, he says, um, I'm gonna ask the Father and he's gonna give you another advocate. So what is this? Behold, I send you the promise of the Father. So, so here's the promise of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. The Bible says that Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, right? Again, this picture. But the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are working together. This is God working in your life in various ways. So what does that look like for you? The dispensation or the age of the Spirit is upon us. The dispensation of the Father, all the old covenant, right? all the way up until the Gospels began and Jesus the Son comes into the earth. And at the end of Jesus' life, he says, I have to go away now. Why? Because there's another dispensation, there's another age coming that is better than those other ages. Isn't that amazing? What a thought. So he goes on in John 14, 16, he says, here's, here's one of the promises of who the Holy Spirit is. He's a comforter. So it says, John, is John 14, 16. I'll ask the Father, remember the connection, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Because Jesus was also an advocate or a comforter, right? But he was here on earth. And he says he's going to give you another comforter. And the word he uses there is parakletos in the, in the Greek. And it's a very interesting word. We're going to get into that in just a second. He says, and this is what he's going to do. He's going to help you and be with you forever. But what if I sin? He's going to help you <laughs> and be with you unless you sin. And he's out of here. He's like, nope. I'm not living in a dirty house, right? But if the house is clean, he can live there. That's a whole sermon series all by itself. Somebody else already preached it, but it's a good one. So he says, here's who he is. He's the spirit of truth. He can't lie. He's not going to deceive. He's the spirit of truth, so you can trust him. He says, the world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. In other words, I can't make a connection with an unseen God. Right? I, need to, I need to make an image that looks like me. This is what idolatry is. I make an image that looks like me. It's all about me. But God's saying that the, that the world can't see him, can't even know him. And then he goes on and says, but you do. You know him, for he lives with you. He's talking to the disciples, remember? He said, I'm making a promise that the Holy Spirit's going to come. 
And he says, when he does, he's been living with you. In other words, there, there, there's moments where he's, he's here, but very, very soon, he's not just going to be around you. He's going to be inside of you, and you cannot get rid of him. <laughs> what a thought, right? You can't get rid of the Holy Spirit. So anyway, he goes on. He says, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be, he will be in you. And then he says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So he's promising the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit is another comforter like me. So the sense of having him in the earth for three years and asking him questions and all those things, what, what Jesus is saying is nothing's actually going to change. You're going to get another comforter. What's going to change is how you relate to him. You're not going to relate to him in a physical manifestation like you do with a person. But does, it doesn't make him less real. But if you can only think about the natural world as a believer then you will live in the context of the natural and never in the context of the supernatural, even though it's 100% available to you at all times. So what would it look like to take advantage of your advantage? And that's what we were talking about. So he goes on, um, he goes, or he finishes with, I won't leave you as orphans, I will come to you. This is why people think he's the Holy Spirit's a disembodied spirit of Jesus, right? He says, I'm going to promise the comforter, another comforter, and then I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to come to you. And in a sense, that's exactly what's happening, right? But he does that by his spirit. And so the Holy Spirit comes. He's with you. He's for you. He will remind you of things Jesus said. We went through a list of, of, of all the things the Holy Spirit will do for you. So Charles Spurgeon in 1872 preached a message in London called the paraclete. And this is some of the stuff he said about it. He said, this word is too extensive in meaning to be exchanged for one word in any language. So let me read that again. He said, this word is too extensive in meaning to be exchanged for any other one word in a language. You find this often, like the word love, you find this in the, in the New Testament, that the word love in English and the word love in the original languages are often very different because we use love in the English language and we define it through context in a sentence. But that's not how they did it in the original language, right? It's a different, kind of, different word for different kinds of love. So here's what he said. He said, it is sternly and even primitively sublime in its simplicity yet it comprehends great things. So he's talking about who the, who the comforter is. And he goes on, he says, Spurgeon put the word paraclete under two headings, one called to and one calling to. So I just put a picture of this so you could see it. So this is the Holy Spirit. Two things he's gonna do. He's gonna, he's gonna be called to the believer and then he's also gonna call to the believer. So what does that mean? That means he's going to be for you in certain scenarios. He's going to, here's an example of called to. He's going to come to our aid. He's going to help our infirmities. He's going to suggest. He's going to advocate for us. He's going to guide us, and on and on and on. This is what it means for him to be called to you. He is a helper and a comforter when? In your time of need, right? And then the other side of that is he will call to us. So he, he comes on our behalf. He's our advocate. He's for us. But he's not just going to go. You ever see somebody with their kid that they could just completely indulge their kid and they call it love? You ever seen that? Like, Usually you see it in Walmart. I don't know why, but Walmart seems to be the place that this is displayed the most, right? So what happens is the kid starts doing something, and they, they, won't, they won't check the brokenness in the child. They won't, they won't check the immaturity. Like the kid starts screaming. Like, listen, if you have a baby and the baby starts screaming, I mean, you can talk to it all you want, but it's just going to keep screaming, <laughs> right? Until whatever it's making it scream. I mean, it's pretty simple, right? But if they're 12 and they're doing that, then you've probably not parented that child well. I'm just saying, 
right? So in some of that is maybe you weren't parented well. I get it. But my point is we all know that part of being a parent in loving someone is not just being their advocate and saying, baby, I love you and you're amazing. And, and sometimes you just have to say to them, honey, you suck at softball and we're just, you're not playing anymore because you're so awful. I know they keep giving you trophies, but baby, you suck and it's not going anywhere. Some of you guys are going, can you say that? You, not only can you, you should say this to your children, right? I, you know what? You can be anything you want, baby. No, you can't. You're five foot four. All of us in our family are short. You're never going to be Michael Jordan. So good luck with that, right? It's not, my point is there is a reality that comes where even though you're the advocate for your child in your great love for them, if you see them headed toward a bridge that's out, you don't continue to be their advocate to drive into a, into a river, or you shouldn't, at least, right? That we, we understand this. So the paraclete, the word means not just called to, not just the helper, as if somehow, you know, he belongs to you and he's, he's at your beck and call. That's not the picture of, of, of the paraclete. The picture of the paraclete is he is still God, but he is for you. <laughs> he is for you sometimes when you are against yourself, right? I, I, we have a friend, um, his wife every once in a while will say something, you know, that wives say is like, oh, this, you know, this dress is, you know, something or this. I don't know. I don't like the way I, my hair does or whatever. And it's so fun to watch because he'll look at her and he'll catch her. And, and I've heard him do it a million times. And he'll say, hey, hey, nobody gets to talk to my wife that way. <laughs> and it's funny because she's the one saying it, right? But he's, he's pointing out the fact that she's saying things to herself that she wouldn't let anybody else say to her. And as, a, as her advocate, as a husband, he's just pointing out the fact, babe, that self-talk is going to get you in trouble. Stop doing that. And also, you're never going to slam a basketball. So <laughs> those things are held in tent. Y'all get it, right? So I'll move on. <laughs> so let me contrast the story I started with earlier. Remember the, about the, the girl who passed away and, and the uncertainty? I was not a believer at that time. Um, when I, a few years later, I was about 25, 26, um, and my mom had been... Uh, fighting cancer for years, and it finally got the best of her. We'd come home for a couple of weeks uh, from Bible college, and um, she ended up passing away. And, uh, and it was a terrible, horrible thing. Nobody should ever lose a parent. We all will. That's how life works, and, unless, you know, we go before them, and that's an even worse tragedy, I, I think, for parents. But I remember when it happening, um, as terrible as it was, it wasn't final. And, and the Bible says that we don't grieve at those others who have no hope. So that's the whole picture of it. doesn't mean I didn't grieve. Of course I grieve. But, but here's why this is so important. This is the contrast of the difference between having a comforter and not having a comforter. When I, when I, when I experienced that tragedy when I was 17 years old, the comforter in his kindness came anyway and said, hey, this is just her house. She doesn't live there. And in so many ways, he was leading me towards the eternal. So he was still at work in my life, don't get me wrong. He was just, I was just not in a relationship with him in a way that he could actually bring me comfort. But when, I was, but when my mom died, I was. And so when my mom passed away, I remember walking outside. It was a beautiful night. Um, everything was kind of done. You know, it's that moment afterwards when you just don't really know what to do. It's feeling the grief and the weight of it all. And I walked outside, and Karen's hugging me, and she's praying for me, and she's just loving me. And she loved my mom too, obviously. She's grieving herself, but she was just grieving for me as a son. And uh, I remember I, I was praying, and I had this vision. Like, literally, it was a picture in, like, a movie in my head. And it was a picture of my mom on a safari, of all things. 
and she was on, you know, the big trucks, and they drive through, you know, and she's seeing elephants, and, you know, she's seeing all these crazy things, and she's seeing it for the first time, and, and she's just so excited. She's turning around. You know, I can see her face. She's beaming. She's just so excited. She's like, ah, and she sees me looking at her, and she basically says, ah, if you could see what I see right now. And, and the, the, the word to me, the communication that the Holy Spirit brought to me in that, in that brought comfort that moment was, she is on an adventure that soon you will also experience. But she cannot communicate back to you what that's like. But if you can envision it and understand it, you will, first of all, understand her joy, and it will mitigate your grief. And I thought, wow. And can I tell you that for the rest of my life, that vision that God gave me, the Holy Spirit gave me in that moment, is a comfort. Wasn't it, it wasn't a comfort only. It still is a comfort in my heart and my life right now. That is the paraclete. That is the Holy Spirit who came and said, I want to comfort you in this. You don't grieve like others grieve, Dave. Don't forget that, right? That was real. And because of that, I miss my mom on Mother's Day. Oftentimes, you know, we'll have Mother's Day and it's a beautiful service and I love it. And I think about how I was robbed because I lost my mom when I was 25, and how I've been robbed, you know, now I'm half of my life without her. And what was really interesting to me, even in the midst of that, was why a safari? <laughs> right? I remember thinking at the time, I'm like, he could have picked any kind of story, right? Why a safari? What I didn't know is many, many years later, I would develop friendship with a bunch of people from Africa, of all things. And they would tell me the stories of what it was like to be on a safari. They were also believers who would tell me the stories of Jesus and what it was like to have encounters with him and how those melded together. I look back and go, Lord, you knew perfectly well that the safari story was not only going to be comforting then and comforting as we went forward, but the more I learned through my friends from Africa about what a safari is, not only the greater comfort, but a greater sense of I'm actually ready to get out of here and go on a safari. I don't know about you. But I got some things to do because I'm still on mission, right? But there's a longing in my heart. And, and God knew that. And that's the kind of comfort that wasn't just comforting in the moment, but literally grows ever bigger as I move forward in life. It's hard to explain that. So what else is he? He is a promise of power. So it's a promise of comfort. This is who the paraclete is, who the Holy Spirit is. Listen to Luke 24, 49. I read part of it. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem. That means wait, for you people who don't know Bible, um, King James anyway. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power, right? New Living Translation, which isn't a translation, it's a paraphrase. <laughs> this says this, and it, but it brings it out. It says, um, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. See, there's power here. Right? And people fight for that all the time in politics and military. You, I mean, you see that all the time. But there's a power that comes from heaven that far outweighs any power here. Right? And the enemy, you know, the Bible says about the cross, if the enemy knew what he was doing with the cross, he would not have crucified the king of glory. He wouldn't have done that because he fell into the hands of, of God by doing that. And, got, and he always overplays his hand. So if you're ever feeling a, a sense of powerlessness, it turns out that the greatest power that has ever existed 
that actually created existence lives inside of you, is for you all the time. So if you need power, if corrupt power is coming against you, what if you had access to a greater power, right? Scripture says you do. And here's the picture of that is there's an expectation that you would do the things that Jesus did. Remember we talked about this in one of the passages we, or one of the series uh, messages in the series about Jesus did what he did under the power of the Holy Spirit. Not, he didn't cheat because he was the son of God. He did it so he could model it to you and I. What would a perfectly submitted man look like in walking in the earth perfectly submitted to his father? And that's the picture of who Jesus was. And because of that, it's a picture of who you and I are supposed to be, to walk in the mission in power. So what does that look like? Um, the gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12. Why? Because God didn't want to just tell a story. He wanted to demonstrate his redemptive power. Listen, it's not just telling a compelling story. It's validating the message with demonstrated power. See, this is where we get the gospel wrong. This is why I'm teaching this series. Because the gospel, the Bible said, is not in words. It's in power. But what does that mean? What does it mean that the good news, the story we tell about Jesus, is not just a story? Because words in and of themselves, we can all use them to tell stories about Allah. We can tell stories about Buddha. And they're very compelling stories. That's why millions of people follow those religions. But are they true? They would tell you that they are. Well, how can you know? Jesus makes a statement in one of the past. I don't have it here, but he made a statement because there, he, he made a comment about forgiving people's sin. That's a big thing, but let's be honest, that's subjective and arbitrary in this world that we live in, right? Can he forgive sin? I don't know. He said he could, but can he really? So Jesus recognizes what's going on in their head, and this is what he says. So that you might know, he looks at the Pharisees, so that you would know that I have power on earth to forgive sins. He turns to the man, and he demonstrates his power on earth to forgive sins by, by having power over sickness. And he raises the man up. Another place, he demonstrates it by having power over the demonic. The demonic authority and power that sometimes is political. <laughs> right? We recognize that. So what did Jesus do? Jesus was saying, hey, if we ever have a power confrontation, I win. I cannot tell you how many times I've been in um, a demonic moment, a moment where demo de demons are manifesting themselves in a person's life. And I've literally, you believe this or not, at, at this point, I don't care. But I've had literally people levitate in front of me and, have, and cast demons out of them and they fall on the ground. I had people in, in countries where we were doing mission, mission work, I had people speak to me in the English language who had never learned the English language. And the moment the demon came out of them, they couldn't speak English anymore. So I've had things like that. I've had, I've had supernatural encounters where one, a guy I was, uh, I was praying for who had a demon lifted me clean off the ground with one arm, just like this. At another time, one of the, the guy who was levitating and we got him to the ground, we had a, a 300 and something pound deacon sit on top of it. He wasn't, he was muscular. And he sat on this guy's one arm and this guy laying on the ground like this lifted him off the ground with one hand. So if you've ever seen that, um, you've seen some power. You've seen a demonstration of what raw power can be. And in every single situation, not one single time was I afraid. Not one single time did I, did I believe for one second that the power that was within me was greater than the power that was there, right? And so every single time, uh, one guy came at me with a knife. He was going to murder his entire family. 
They called me. They locked him in a room rather than call the police. And I was like, I don't know if that was wise. We can cast a demon out of him in jail. I mean, it's not hard, right? But whatever reason, they decided to call me. I went over there. We confront this guy. He comes at me with a knife. Now, here's the thing. I have martial arts training. I could have, you know, maybe he'd have hurt me, but I could have hurt him back. But that kind of power is like I felt confidence in the flesh because of my physical abilities at the time, right? I was much younger, (laughs) But what was really powerful was the power that was within me that said that this, what he's trying to do, he cannot do to you what this power inside of you won't let him do. So in my own strength, I I can maybe do something. But let's be honest, there's no way that I can do enough. But in God's power, that stuff can stop. Not too long ago, my wife was on the phone with someone at 3 o'clock in the morning. I was like, uh, that's not usual, right? That she talked, it's Jake from State Farm. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but <laughs> three o'clock in the morning and, and it turns out she's casting a demon out of someone. We had a kid in our, in our youth group in Atlanta. She was on the phone with a guy who'd been pursuing her. He'd been coming to church. He wasn't a believer, but he'd been coming to church and, uh, and he was Twitter-pated with her. She was one of the leaders in our, in our church. She was, she was texting back and forth, not on the phone, but texting back and forth. And he started getting really, really foul and saying things that were completely out of character. And she's like, hey, what's going on? You know, we read the text. It's, it's an amazing. And she's like, hey, what's going on? And she's freaking out. And she goes and gets her dad. She's like, dad, what's going on? He's, she, he goes, well, it's probably demonic. So he goes, just deal with it. <laughs> so over a text, she texts him, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You come out of him. I mean, just right out of the Bible. And then the text goes silent for like two hours. They get nervous and they're like, what happened? So they're trying to get a hold of his family, can't get a hold of them. They're like at the point where they're going to get in the car, drive across the city and go see if they can't figure out what happened with this, this teenage boy. And then all of a sudden the text comes back and goes, hey, what happened? I woke up having vomited all over myself and I, I don't know what happened. And then I look at my text and I'm like, oh my goodness, surely I didn't say that. And she said, well, how do you feel now? He goes, I feel free and, and empty. <laughs> <laughs> so she had a conversation with him about what maybe he should fill himself up with as opposed to what had been filling him up, right? And he became a believer. So turns out you can cast demons out over a text. I didn't even know you could do that. Why? Because the authority you have is not, it's not limited by anything in this world. Why am I saying that? This is the power, the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. Now, can you just yank the chain of the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I need you to do this and this and this and this? No, because we talked about, remember, his power and his authority is for the mission inside of you. Part of that mission is to protect you because you've got the gospel to preach, right? Part of that is to protect your family because there's an inheritance that you want to bring into the earth through the gospel in your kids. So if you understand that, you can do it. So let me give you another example. This one's interesting. Um, we had a, uh, a father who had, he had two boys and uh, he walks in, he hears a scream. He walks in, the younger boy is crying. They're probably um, 10, maybe 12. Younger boy's crying and he, he recognizes something happened. He says, hey, what happened? And the older boy says he tripped and he said it in a way that was obviously not true. <laughs> if a parent, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. And then he looks at the younger son. He said, hey, what happened? And he was intimidated by his brother, so he wouldn't say. And so the father in this moment of passion said, because he actually really believed it. He said, well, listen, if you don't tell me what happened, talking to the older, older son, I'm going to go pray and ask the Holy Spirit, and he's going to tell me. So the older son said, go ahead. He called him. He called him in his, 
right? Be careful as a parent. I'm just saying, right? So he's like, uh-oh, now I'm on the line. Do I really believe that? So he goes away and he prays. And he says, Holy Spirit, he goes, this is not just for this moment. This, more than anything else, is to teach my sons that you are real and that you have the power on earth to do what you say you're going to do. So he said, Lord, will you show me? So he said, had an open vision, almost like I'd gone back in time. And he said, I watched the younger brother come through the room and the older brother reach out and just trip him. And his intention wasn't to cause tremendous damage, but what he fell into caused a lot of harm. But there was an arrogance in that older brother, right, <laughs> that said, yeah, go, go let the Holy Spirit tell you. I don't believe that crap anyway. So he comes back in. I love this story. He comes back in and he says, so I pray. This is what the Holy Spirit showed me. So he tells them, and both of the, the, the younger brothers stopped crying <laughs> instantly. The older brother, his mouth got like this big and his eyes even bigger. And all the arrogance that was there a few minutes ago vanished in a second. Probably kept that boy out of prison, if we're honest, right? So power for parenting, <laughs> right? But, but again, if you don't draw on that, if you don't say, Lord, I believe that this is for me, that your power is, it's a promise that you've given me. And it's not because I'm, I'm a good Christian. It's because, it's because of what Jesus did on the cross that now I, I am able to receive, not because of anything I've done, but because of everything you've done, right? So he goes on. This is, this, I mean, again, some of these stories. So this is John chapter 1. So there's a picture of it in Scripture. So it's a, bit, a little bit lengthy, but it's worth reading. Philip found, found Nathanael, these are two disciples, and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he's like, I believe this guy's the Messiah. You should, and he goes on, he says, um, and then he says, Nathanael says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Like, anybody ever said that about your city? <laughs> There's probably a good reason. Then Nathanael asked, he asked that, and then Philip said, We'll come and see. So it was this, he said, he didn't say, let me tell you a story that he told me. He's like, no, no, come, come over here and experience this because it's going to be true. John uh, 1 verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, so Philip went, gathering, brought him, said, I think this is the Messiah. And he's like, I don't think so because nothing good comes from that city. And he shows up. So he's coming with doubt. You know, he's like, he's already dismissed it, but he's, he's entertaining his friend. He shows up, Jesus sees him from afar off, and this is what he says. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So Nathaniel says, how do you know me? Right? Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Oh. <laughs> so Jesus had a word of knowledge and he, or a, a, a vision. I mean, I'm not even sure which gift to categorize that in, right? But he sees Nathaniel as Philip's approaching him. He sees him sitting under a fig tree. Now, there's way, way more in this story than he's telling because it's a, it's a picture when he says, this is an Israelite in whom there is no guile or no deceit. And he's sitting under a fig tree. That was a, a, a rabbi uh, phrase for contemplating the law, right? Sitting under a fig tree. Then it goes back to, right, um, a picture of, of uh, uh, oh, not Joseph. Uh, anyway, I, 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 that's why I, I didn't completely write it all down. I should have. But he goes back to one of the, uh, the fathers, the founding fathers of the faith, and uh, who is as Jacob. It took me a second. So he, he is deceitful. And then he's saying of Nathaniel, 
you're not like him. So he was probably studying that passage. And so it was tied not just to having a word of knowledge about the fig tree, but it was tied to what he was reading in the law and what he was thinking about how you, how you please God, right? So anyway, this is what's so interesting about that. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God. So he has a, a word of knowledge that demonstrates what Philip had said to him. I think this is the Messiah. And so he, he demonstrates his power, validates the message, and he says, I think you're the, he says, you are the son of God. And then he goes on, he says, um, uh, Rabbi, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. So he knew exactly who he was talking to. I believe you're the Messiah. And then Jesus said to him this, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? Like he's saying, like that little small demonstration of the power of God in my life, that got you to believe I was Messiah. Then this is what he said. He said, you will see greater things than that. And then you study Nathaniel's walk with Jesus as a disciple. And what he got to see, right, was beyond anything of Jesus just saying, I saw you under the fig tree studying scripture. But listen, he ties it to what he was saying. This is what he, he goes on. He says, he then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Now, why? Why did he use that phrase? Why did he say that? Because remember, he was studying the passage of Jacob. And what was the vision that Jacob saw? He saw a stairway to heaven. You know the rock song, <laughs> right? And so that was the old version of how do I climb the stairway to God, right? That was the law. There was stuff you had to do. And Jesus was saying, what you're going to see, is you're going to see the angels ascending, descending. In other words, what I'm about to do on the cross is going to open the floodgates of heaven so that everything that you've been trying, all the relationship you've been trying to have God through your own abilities, I'm going to give you that for free. So he tied all that together with a word of knowledge that demonstrated his power and who he was. It's powerful, power, powerful story. So here's... One more story in this, and about ready to close up. Um, in Longview, Texas, we were youth pastors, and there was a little girl in our church who was struggling. And uh, it's amazing to me how dark it is right now. As dark as it was then, this, this, some of the stuff that this little girl was struggling with, it's gotten far, far worse. And so in this scenario, I'm praying for her in, in one of our youth meetings. And as I'm praying for her, she's, she's obviously deeply troubled. She's reluctant. She doesn't really want me to pray for her, but I called her up there, and she's let me do it. And I, and I pray for her, and while I'm praying for her, I see a picture of her in her room. Now, I've never been to her house, never been in a room. And in her room, she's sitting on the corner of the bed, facing a wall with posters on it. I can see all the posters, and so I, I, I start sharing that. I said, hey, I see you sitting on the room, in, I mean, sitting in your room on the corner of the bed, and here are the posters that are on your wall. So I described all the posters, so I got her attention, obviously. So I said, and here's what I see you doing. I see you painting your fingernails black. I see you putting black lipstick on. And I said, I, I see you courting with, you know, that goth thing that was popular back, back then. And I said, but here's what that is. That is the spirit of death and suicide that's coming for you. And I said, so it's just, it's just a, the world's way of entertaining that spirit in the world, right? So you translate that however you want to in what we're struggling with now. But here's the thing. I said, so let me ask you a question. Why would God show me that? Because she's blown away. She's like first fearful. Like, you know, what kind of magic are you doing? <laughs> and so I said, why would God show me that? And she starts using the brain. Come let us reason together, says the Lord. Right? And she says, because he wants to set me free from that. Bingo. So I pray for her. Guess what happens? She's completely set free. 
She doesn't struggle with it anymore. So what could have been the rest of her life, a struggle that she had, because she'd begin to entertain this, God saw this. He used me as an authority figure in her life, right? But here's, here's the thing that's so honest about this. God could have also used her parents to do that. They just couldn't, they didn't understand the things of the Spirit the way I did. It doesn't make me better. I was just willing to say, I'm going to step out and trust you in this moment and believe that God's actually doing this, walking in power. And when I shared that with her, she was set free. Probably saved her from years of therapy, right? So here, what's the point? The point is, is that God wants to move in power in you. But if you don't understand and you're not willing to allow that to happen, it may as well be as if there is no Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible calls carnal Christians, fleshly Christians. Christians, not, it, it, all it means is you're living with the natural world as your primary vision. And God's saying, I want to I fix that. I want to change that. And I want you to see me in the supernatural sense, not only that I'm for you, but I'm for everything that I'm doing in the earth. I'm for you being a good mom or a good dad. I've already, you know, I've already made you um, able to do this by my grace to you as a, as a believer. I, I've equipped you. I want to equip you over and over. And one of the ways I can equip you is you can walk in power on behalf of your kids. Right? It's a powerful thing. So lastly, the promise of connection. This is John 14, 17. But you know him, for he lives with you. He's saying, here's who the Spirit is. He lives with you. And remember, this is a promise to the disciples because it hasn't happened yet. And he said, but he will be in you. Not just with you, but in you. And then he says, again, I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. So what does that mean? That means you never have to be alone. One of my favorite Psalms says that God, God places the lonely in families. Do you know the first, that we talk about that all the time as a connection to a body of believers. And it's hard because you have to, like Karen said earlier, you have to open up your heart. You have to let your guard down. You have to believe that maybe people aren't going to hurt you again, right? And so, but the first, so God wants to connect you in that family, but the first family he wants to connect you into is his own. He wants to restore you as a son or a daughter, right? So what does he do? Listen to what it says again. He, he lives with you, but he will be in you. In other words, he places the lonely in the family, and the family you've been placed in is his. That's the first family that you're in. And you are never not in that family. No matter what you've done or what you think, somehow this is, this is the thing that really you know, ticked the Holy Spirit off, and he's not. No, that's not how the cross works. The cross was final. And if that's true, then God will come to you when? When you need him the most. Not just when you're doing well. Of course that happens but he will come to you at your, at your most broken time. I've had God move in my life to, to, in a gift of the Spirit right after I sinned a juicy sin. And at first, it really confused me. I'm like, God, are you saying that that sin is okay? And God's like, no, you're not, head. That's my translation, my paraphrase. He doesn't say that to me. But basically, no, right? Um, what I'm saying is, is that doesn't disqualify you. I will still move in your life. Here's the danger of that. You can have people who have terrible character who walk in the things of the Spirit. And it can be really confusing if, you, if you've never seen that or you don't understand this concept. So what Jesus wants is not just us moving in the power of God or just in his character. He wants both of those things. The, the character and the competency of Jesus is available through his Spirit. Chapter uh, 16, verse 8. When he's come, this is what he's going to do. He's going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Of sin because they don't believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. 
of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, there's a whole series involved in that, just that one little passage, but let me help, help you understand this. He says, I'm going to convict the world of sin. What does that mean? That means it's not about you doing enough right or enough wrong. Like, well, if I, it's somehow balanced in the picture. You know, if I, do, if I do more right than wrong, then somehow God is for me and not against me. But that's not at all what the Bible says. The Bible says that sin is missing the mark. What's the mark? The mark is perfect. So what's the law? 613 rules and regulations that says to make God happy, you have to do all these things. Good luck with that. Not a single person could do it until Jesus came, who fulfilled it perfectly, then became the sacrifice that we couldn't become. Understand? So Jesus becomes a sacrifice because he's perfect. He becomes, he becomes the substance of the symbolism that the law was trying to portray. What does that mean? That means it's not about how many right things you can do. Because it goes on, it says, he, he condemns, he goes on, it says, of, of judgment, sorry, uh, I'll convict the world of sin and of righteousness. So what does it mean of righteousness? There's two kinds of righteousness. There is the gift of righteousness, and there is self-righteousness. There's no other kinds of righteousness. So this is what's helpful to understand. He says, of sin because they don't believe in me. When the Holy Spirit comes and convicts of sin, what is he convicting? Because you drank too much or you cussed or you, you know, smoked or you ran with women who do. I don't know. <laughs> right? Is that what he's trying to convict you of? Nope. One thing he's coming after. What are you doing with Jesus? Because listen, this is the way it's helpful to understand this. Again, a whole series could be preached on this. Unbelief is the condemning sin that closes the door to heaven and opens the door to hell. The one sin, you go study this. When people say, have I committed, the, I get this question as a pastor. Dave, I think I may have committed the sin of unforgiveness. I mean, a sin that can't be forgiven, right? And I say, how do you know? Well, I just feel like, you know, I'm condemned. <laughs> well, that's all of us. <laughs> so I get to share the gospel. And so if they are open to, at all, believing in Jesus, then they have not, they have not committed the sin that can't be forgiven because the only sin that can't be forgiven is unbelief. Why? Because belief is the only way to get forgiven. What are you believing? That what Jesus did on the cross was enough to pay for your sin. Either you believe that or not. I've said this a million times. The gospel is not good advice. It's news. Either you can only do one of two things. You can believe that it's true or, you, or not. And that determines heaven and hell for everybody on this planet, for everybody who's ever lived. And that's hard because we see the consequence or the fruit of sin and we call that sin. But the real sin is unbelief. Because when you believe, all the things that you used to do begin to fall away. That's how that's supposed to work, right? So he goes on, he says, um, John 16, 6.10, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see no more. What he's saying is, this is the final vindication. When it's finished on the cross and I go to the Father, it's all done. So what does that look like? Philippians 3.9, and be found in him, in Jesus, not having a righteousness righteousness of my own, not self-righteousness, somehow I can do enough, but listen, it goes on, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. In other words, what have you believed, right? So let me close with this. How do you take advantage of your advantage? So often I watch, I've been doing this 30 something years and, and the thing that hurts my heart the most is when believers don't walk in the fullness of their inheritance. It's no different than someone who's living as, as a pauper, right? 
when they are wealthy beyond belief. We're like, why would you live in that kind of despair when everything that you have need of is available for you? So here's why we do that, because the enemy convinces us that how we gain that is through the external. So let me just make it simple. This is what Galatians 5.25 says. It says, since we live by the Spirit. In other words, any life that we have in Jesus didn't come from all the things we could do right, from trying to fulfill the law. It comes in the Spirit. It comes because I believed, I put faith in what Jesus did on the cross. That's what it means to live in the Spirit. It's what he goes after in Galatians to the whole church in, in Galatia. So he says, if since we live by the Spirit, in other words, the only life you can have is by the Spirit, this is what we ought to do. And he wraps it up entirely. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. So how do you do that? When some of you guys were in the military and you learned how to march, I was in the Air Force, we didn't have to march a lot, <laughs> right? But we had to march some. And one of the things you learned was the cadence, they have a cadence call, and you march in step with the cadence. You found out very quickly that you don't get to determine the pace. The instructor gets to determine the space. And if you get it wrong, he is, he's a very angry, grumpy man. All the, I, fear, I just feel for his family. I do. Because he would just take it out on all of us. But if you got in step and everybody else was in step, you moved as a group. And you moved in step with the one who's calling out the cadence. So if you're living at your pace in your life and you're wondering why things are going wrong, that's why. Because you are the one trying to call the pace. Lord, I want to go to this school. And the Holy Spirit's like, well, what am I going to say? you got so much passion and desire for it. Anything I'm going to tell you, you're going to close your ears to anyway. God, God this, this girl, she's the right girl. Why? Because she's pretty. Lord, did you, can you not see her? The Lord's like a totally mater, right? But, but on the inside, she's not so pretty. So I just want to point this out to you. Maybe she's not the right one. Maybe let her develop a little long. You know what I'm saying? And, but we're like, no, but Lord, she's the one. Why? Because she's so pretty. And my hormones are telling me. So who's setting the pace, the Holy Spirit or your hormones? Who's setting the pace, your fear? Oh, God, what happens if we get another Democrat president? Oh, Lord, have mercy. Oh, have Jesus help us. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so I'm like, pray and vote, right? Maybe you're a Democrat, and that's your call out to God. God, give us a great Democratic president. Hey, we've had tons of those in the past, right? My point is, this has nothing to do with a political party. It's everything to do with what are you going to do with what God's telling you to do. And God's like, hey, whether Hitler's in power, whether somebody else is in power, it makes no difference. A Christian is a Christian regardless. Is it tougher under a terrible regime? Of course it is, right? But it doesn't change you from being a believer. I remember when, when uh, uh, Y2K came, one of the guys was saying, like, you're gonna, he was a prepper, and he was like, we're saving up all the beans and the you know, rice, and we're going to, woo. And I'm like, so what are you going to do? When your friends are starving, will you shut the door to them? Because Isaiah goes after that pretty hard, right? About not seeing the plight of the broken and the hurting. They brought it on themselves. Psh, you never did that, right? What spirit are you of is really what Scripture's saying. We get into this. We get, I'm, I'm a patriot. Yeah, but I'm a Christian first. You're a Christian first, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> so what does that look like? That looks like, God, this is what I want. But Lord, maybe what I should really say is, what cadence are you calling? Because you live in the Spirit, are you going to keep in step with the Spirit? Listen, that is an internal thing, not an external thing. Circumstances don't get to determine what the cadence of the Holy Spirit is calling out. God's going to say, hey, I want you to do this crazy thing. 
I want you to move across the country. I want you, and you're like, but Lord, that doesn't make sense. To who? To the natural world that is limited in their perception of what's going on, or to the God of the universe who, who sees it all, knows it all, and can talk to you and speak to you about things to come, right? About everything Jesus said. But the answer is, if you don't have that internal thing going on where you know that he, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of you, wants to move, wants to talk to you, wants to demonstrate the power of the conviction of the cross through your ability to go up and pray for somebody or lay hands on somebody or encourage somebody or minister to somebody, if you're not doing that, then what you are forever settled on is living out the natural world as if there was no Holy Spirit. So my challenge to you is, since you're, you're, you're alive by the Spirit, like Paul said, are you going to now finish all this in the flesh? Like literally you were born again supernaturally, and you know that's true, otherwise you wouldn't, you wouldn't be born again, right? It's by faith, it's, it's the Spirit. Now are you going to finish in the natural what God has begun in you in the Spirit? So I want to challenge you this morning as we walk away from this series. You have been empowered. You have been. Now, you can choose to use it or not. That's up to you. But don't be a victim anymore. Don't say, well, woe is me. This sickness came on me because of genetics and because of all these things that happened. There's a regular lie that comes to me on a regular basis that uses my mom and my love for my mom to, to put fear and try to control me. And he'll say little things like, well, you know, your mom, about this age, she, she, before you actually, she was in her 40s when she died of cancer. And so probably, that's genetic, so probably you're going to have it too. So you know what I say? Thank you for bringing that to my door, but I'm not signing for it. What happens if I have circumstances that begin to go, I'm like, nope, don't receive it. Doctor comes to you and says, this is what's going to happen because Natural. I love doctors. I, I do. I love, I love technology. I love all these things. I love where we are. It's amazing. But it is still limited no matter what we do. It's, it's helpful, especially Christian doctors are super helpful, right? Because they're in line with the Spirit. But the, the challenge then is, what are you going to believe? Are you going to believe that the enemy has control? Or are you going to believe that God has control? And here's the picture. The issue really is, how does that work? And the way that works is not God coming in a flood. One day he's going to come on a big horse, and it's all going to be over, and he's going to be, it's done. But in the meantime, how is he doing that? And the answer is, he's doing that through you and me. And where we take that authority, where we walk into that, is we lean in and go, God, I'm going to believe you, even though the natural circumstances are saying something different. I refuse to live by the natural. I submit to the Spirit of God first, and then the natural. And if you do that, if you live in the Spirit and you walk in the Spirit, instead of going, woe is me, and look at what the world is coming to, and look at what's happening, you rise up and say, because Jesus has given me the victory, I can walk in faith and power. What happens if there's challenge and, say, and someone says, if you keep going down that road, we're going to persecute you. Do your worst, because remember what Scripture says? Good luck with what you're doing, because you can only kill this body right? But the God I serve not only can kill the body, he can throw that soul in hell. So there is a power that's greater than yours. And when that rises up within you, there is no defense in the world against that. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? I hope this has been helpful. Um, it's challenging to live in the Spirit. It's a, it's a, you have to learn some things. You have to take some steps of faith. You have to activate those things. It's a process, not an event. So I want to challenge you as you go into this week, 
as the Lord begins to prompt you for some things, to trust him for some things, as he prompts you to speak to somebody or to pray for somebody, or you're parenting your kids or you're a challenge, pray and say, God, will you give me the answer to this circumstance in the natural? Will you supernaturally, can I walk in step with the Spirit, you supernaturally do something in, in this moment through me? Stop asking, listen, I'm happy to come pray for you, but stop needing to ask someone to pray for you. Become that person that says, I'm going to be the one who's praying for everybody else, right? Doesn't mean we don't need help sometimes. I'm just saying, when you begin to do that, you begin to walk in the Spirit, God begins to work through you. So Jesus, we just come and say, thank you for your power. Thank you for comfort, Lord. Thank you for the connection, Lord, that you said you would never leave us or forsake us. Lord, that if we're sitting in loneliness and the enemy tries to bring uh, despair, Lord, that you come and you, you just push that away. So Jesus, we just submit to you. We submit to your spirit. We say, Lord, move in us, move through us. Let your kingdom come here on earth just as it is in heaven through your spirit. And for that, Lord, we say yes and amen in Jesus' name. If you need prayer this morning, our ministry team will be up here to minister to you and would love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next Sunday.